0: Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the Home Expert.com studios. It's questions from the audience. My commitment in 2019 to this podcast is to make my intros brief. That's it. I feel like I go on too long. Maybe I'll react more on the back end, but I know for when I'm listening to a podcast... I just like to hear him go right into it, so I'm going to go right into it. That's what I'm going to do. You know what it is? It's questions from the audience. You send in the questions, I answer the questions. You can ask whatever you want. I, I, anything, anything. I'm like I'm like encouraging essentially more. I don't know if he'll answer it. Questions. You have nothing to lose. Fire your bullet, and you can post them on the TMA fan page in the thread of questions from the audience. Or if you want your privacy assured. Email me, team of Kernan at InsideSTL.com. Let us go right into it for 2019. I'm going to start on the TMA fan page. Uh, And somebody says, will the Pick 6 podcast continue after football? Does the weatherman do college basketball? The Pick 6 podcast will come to a conclusion uh, with a final podcast leading into the Super Bowl. Um, regarding college basketball candidly, and this is the approach that I have for the podcast in general, but you know, now that we're entering into our, I guess, uh, we're approaching a year and a half of the podcast, uh, nothing wrong with restating it. Cause as I understand, we're getting new listeners. So just to give you an idea, um, on the podcast, since it's my own little world, I own, I think it works best if I'm engaged. And if I'm not engaged, then it's just going to be like a crappy radio show. So in order for me to be engaged, it has to be a topic that I find to be intriguing. And even though I'm not a regular listener of Joe Rogan, my understanding of Joe Rogan's podcast is it's, it's first off, it's incredibly long. It's essentially daily. And uh, you'll look at the guest list and oftentimes you'll have no idea who the people are. But he does such a great interview and he's so into the topic that you start caring about it. It's like the it's like the greatest compliment, from my standpoint, anyway you can give to an interviewer is, like I, I said this to, to Joe Buck, for example, with his interview show, there'd be somebody, I think Abby Wambach stands out to me as one of his guests where I'm like, eh, probably not going to watch this one. But he did such a great job of interviewing her that then you're interested in the show. Um, and so from my standpoint, part of it is my own selfishness in that I don't want to talk about stuff I don't care about And then secondarily, it's in the best interest of what I think is the business, which is to not do a show where I'm just like, okay, we got this person. I know some people care, even though I don't care. So I'll just mail it in. I wish I felt differently about it because it certainly shortens up the already brief St. Louis sports calendar. But at this particular moment, I just don't get into college basketball. I just don't. I don't know what to tell you. And I'm not talking about like this moment, as in I'm recording this on January 2nd, 2019. I'm talking about like the last five or six years. And I the only reason I say six years is because Missouri was a number two seed in 2012. But honestly, it just isn't for me what it was. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of people. We were talking about the bragging rights game and how the lack of interest there. And some people say that's because Missouri and Illinois haven't been that great. I just think college basketball as a whole is just, it's just not captivating people like it used to. Maybe that will change, but as it is right now, I just don't care. So therefore, unlike college football, I can't give you a real perspective. Now, if, if the weatherman is like, I love college basketball and I kill it, I'll just sit here and like regurgitate his picks, but I can't give my thought process, um, and so, you know, I mean, I might as well just tweet out the weatherman's pics and go on about my day. But I, we haven't talked about it either way. Another question came in about the weatherman in the email. Uh, and let me read. OK. Hey, Tim, I'm late to the party with the weatherman. What is the backstory with how you started using his picks? Did you find him? Did he find you? Is he a fan pinner? Is he a tout gangster? Pete, What does a tout mean? Are you familiar with this term? Really? I've never heard that term. huh? Um, I don't believe he's a professional gambler. So uh, as Tony La Russa used to say, uh, last one first. Um, But the weatherman uh, is certainly somebody who studies it like crazy. And uh, for those of you not familiar, because I'm sure some of you aren't gamblers and you're like, yeah, I just don't listen to the pick six podcast because we do three a week. We do the interview. We do the picks. uh, We do the questions from the audience. We do pick six. And the Pick 6 podcast was the brainchild of Gangster Pete, who has been listening to stuff for a long time before he was working with me. And he said, yeah, I didn't really like the gambling podcast you and Joe did last year because you're picking the big games, but a lot of the times you guys just didn't have strong feelings. So it's kind of like, yeah, Alabama's playing Clemson. I could certainly see Alabama covering, but I could see Clemson covering. I don't know. I guess I'll take Clemson. So this year we actually went into it, and I think it worked. I think it worked incredibly well. Um, and I'm sure there's some things, I know there's some things that we can do to make it better, but when it gets down to it, what, what do people want? Well, I'm sure people want to be entertained, but people really want picks that they can bet. And, um, Joe's picking G units picking and I'm picking. And at the start of it, we picked just games that, that we liked, but we made the agreement that we would pick Missouri no matter what. And, um, and I think the first couple of weeks I made my own picks and then the weatherman, who is a weatherman in the Midwest, I don't want to give away his identity because he is on television. Uh, not that he would have anything to apologize for. If anything, he seriously could have his own thing going here with how well he picks games and how much he studies it. Reached out to me, and he was just kind of like giving his opinion on things, and then he gave a few picks, and then I realized, I'm like, man, this guy was right on like 75%, 80% of his picks. And since Joe and G Unit and I said, okay, we're each going to put 500 bucks in, and whoever wins will therefore net a thousand dollars. I'm like, well, I'm gonna roll with this guy, uh, and then he just went, he just went batshit. If my math is correct, Gangster Pete, you might be able to correct me. I believe he is 47 and 18 since week eight, 40 because he lost Mississippi State. We were five and heading into uh, New Year's Day and lost Mississippi State. So uh, Mississippi State against Iowa. So 47 and 18 is a percentage of 72.3 against the spread since week eight. And I think so many people run around and talk about their winning percentage, but it's not documented that I feel like, and I'm talking about writers, podcasters, uh, or if they lose, they don't talk about it. Um, And so it's just kind of, it might just become white noise, but this is real. Uh, I mean, I have it in front of a spreadsheet and we obviously have been documenting it throughout and for the year we're 66 and 37, uh, which is a winning percentage of 64.1. I mean, it's just nuts. It's, it's absolutely nuts. And I guess if I had a regret, it's that I didn't bet all the time with him and that I would also then put my own bets in there and then I would screw it up. Uh, I mean, you're going to get some raw. It's, it's, it's just, it's part of the, the, the process, but again, it's sample size. That's, that's the thing that. And it's tough. It's I, I'm trying to think of a game that got people going on. Oh, here, this one, Oklahoma-Alabama. And Oklahoma was like plus 450, give or take, on the money line. I think it eventually dropped to plus 400, but it was plus 450. And so we were having the conversation on the Pick 6 podcast, and I was talking about it on the TMA fan page. It's not as simple as who do you think will win, and I try to explain this stuff, but I also understand that I used to think this way too. And then if you start explaining it, some people can like get offended. Now they won't say that they're offended. They'll just be like, oh, he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And it's, it's just, it's just not, it's just, it's simple math. It's, op- it's operating off of probability. It's got enough. I, I used to fuck it up. So I'm just telling you that my win rate in both poker and sports gambling has improved when you view things from a probability standpoint. So let's just say we'll call Oklahoma a, a, a plus 400 just to make the math easier. Uh, so what that is telling you is, and that's straight up, do you feel like if Oklahoma and Alabama play four times that Oklahoma wins one of those? Um, and if the answer is yes, and I'm really simplifying it here, then then at that point, then you have value on four to one. Um, it's That's the math of it. Uh, Now, if you think absolutely not, then there's no value. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend betting Alabama's money line, but if you didn't want to lay the 14 points, good for you. You won, because if you laid the 14 points, you didn't cover. It's like a, a poker hand. You know, you might be behind, but you have ace five of spades, and there's a king and an eight of spades out there, and the guy you're playing against bets, and then you're like, I'm going to come back over the top and push him all in. And yeah, he might have, you know, ace king, but you know, mathematically, first off, there's a chance I can get him to fold. And then secondarily, so I have value on, I have percentage of winning the pot by him folding, whatever I allocate to that probability. And then I also have the probability that I can win the hand. And if I can do my poker math correctly, God, I haven't done it in so long. Holy shit. This just hit me right here. I used to do this stuff like my sleep, Oh, God. What is the math? You're, you're about 50-50, I think. Um, so, maybe not. I don't know. 55-45. But either way, you have the implied odds of the player folding, and then you also have the chance of, of hitting another spade on the turn of the river and then winning the hand. So, uh that's, that's, that's how you calculate it. And that's how you win. So there's, there's math involved. And that was a horrible explanation of it. And it really tells me that I really should not just go out and play poker recreationally anymore because I've clearly lost it. But, but that's, that's the, that's the element of it. So one of the things that I was doing during bowl season and I loved, um, was, you know, for example, you're trying to find the middle and I really feel like And I don't know how you guys feel about it. And I I bet a lot of people don't do it. And then I bet a lot of people are like, dude, of course, is live betting. First off, you get a a sense in in the bowl season for who's there and who's not. Um, Purdue, for example, would be an obvious one where they got run off the field. You could see that coming. A lot of people, we were on the over on that one anyway, when Auburn just beat the hell out of them. But you can see who's into it and who's not. And rarely over the course of bowl season did it like materially change in the second half from what was going on in the first half. Uh, A couple of recent examples in the last 24 hours as we record this would be Penn State and Washington. Um, But I think part of that was because Kentucky and uh, Ohio State got up by so much. But you try to find a middle. So uh, I bet Oklahoma State plus 10 and as the game progresses, the next thing you know, Missouri is down, you know, a hell of a lot of points and you can now bet Missouri. And I got Missouri at five and a half because I live bet it and Missouri was getting five and a half. So now at this point, the worst case scenario you have is you're going to push because you have two bets and let's say each one's for a hundred bucks. And the worst case scenario is you lose 10 bucks. But if Oklahoma state, for example, wins, Well, how Oklahoma State wound up winning. They wound up winning by five. Both the bets won. Oklahoma State plus 10.5, of course, won. But Missouri plus 5.5 won. And so I did that with Kentucky and Penn State. Bet Kentucky before the game. Uh, There was an opportunity to do it last night with Texas and Georgia. And so you can see these edges. You can also see it with totals in a big way. Um, And so from my standpoint, you know, I'm getting a little more into it. I'm still not, like, betting a bunch of money, but but because you can see edges and that's where it, so it's, so it's like, yeah, you might not like doubling down on 11, but mathematically you'll come out ahead and yeah, you'll remember the ones where you, you get shipped on it, but mathematically you're going to come out ahead doing it. So yeah, you're going to push some, but you're doubling your money with a risk of losing nothing unless you're going, well, I already have the hundred bucks in my pocket. And now I'm risking that hundred to win 200 Yeah. I don't know. I am I'm on board with it and I like it. And so that's one of the things. And again, it's not, it's not real exotic, but it's just another way to increase your win rate. So, um, you know, the weatherman will be the first one to tell you what happened this year is not something that you can expect on a regular basis, but, uh, he did have it this year and he killed it. And, um, and we will certainly invite him back. We're going to have him on the show actually to discuss some of his strategy uh, with his success, but he'll be the first one to tell you there's no way that he can expect to be 64% again next year. I mean, if that happens, for real, he needs to he needs to make this a re- regular job. Uh, Ryan Kelly is the sponsor of the studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. He's online at the com. If you're buying a home or if you're looking to refinance, make sure you're doing business with Ryan Kelly online at the thehomeloanexpert.com. This podcast is uh, now 15 months old, and Ryan Kelly has been with us from the very beginning. He's been on TMA as a sponsor for a very long time, and we recommend him wholeheartedly to our audience. The HomeLoanExpert.com, Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of The Tim McKernan Show. This uh, came in after the Gabe Diarman podcast, which was a two-parter, and we got into the St. Louis, Kansas City thing and got some good emails on it, which I wasn't really even uh, necessarily expecting, But uh, for those of you who haven't had a chance to listen to the Gabe Diarman interview, Gabe's a Kansas city and I'm a St. Louisan. And I've made the observation that I had no idea. I didn't even, I it's, and it's not because St. Louis is, you know, New York or LA or Chicago. It's just, I didn't even think anything about Kansas city until I got to the university of Missouri. I didn't think anything poorly. I didn't think anything positively. I just didn't think about it. It's like, what do you think of, you know, I don't know, Cincinnati? I don't, I don't know. Cardinals go there. I don't like their ballpark. They struggle with pitching. They have Skyline Chili. Bengals don't do really well. I don't know. That's that's what I'd tell you. I mean, it's just like I don't go, well, fuck them. You know, but for whatever reason, I became aware as a freshman at the University of Missouri, this is 1994, that there was like this thing with some Kansas Citians towards St. Louis. And I'm just like, wow. And then I remember covering a few things in Kansas city and Kevin Keatsman who hosted sports talk radio there. And I still believe he does. Uh, like part of his thing was to like shit on St. Louis. And I'm just like, God, can you imagine like hosting a show in St. Louis and like spending time on Kansas city It'd just be the weirdest thing. And then Kansas city people go, well, you guys are obsessed with Chicago. And then I go, not really. I mean, you, do a survey of like 10,000 people in St. Louis and see how many tell you that St. Louis is a superior city to Chicago it's or even think anything of it. Like there's a rivalry with the Cubs, but you know, Kansas Cityans have a rivalry with the Broncos and with the Raiders, but I don't know if it's really over Oakland or Las Vegas or Denver or whatever. It's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a very odd thing. So I asked Gabe about it and Gabe gave his explanation. Um, and and he said he didn't know anything about the rivalry until he got to Missouri. So he felt like it was, you know, it was something that incubated in Columbia. So here is what uh, I got. I got an email here that I thought uh, would be uh, helpful from an explanation standpoint. Just finished listening to the colonel. Uh, Listen through the duration. Gabe didn't say the word fuck enough. To answer your question, I believe KOMU now has paid weekend anchors. I did the Sunday night. Oh, this is a this is his background. Um, let's see. Uh, I tell the story much better after a couple of Crown Royals. But here's my theory story of St. Louis and Kansas City. It's a number one big brother little brother complex. St. Louis was once a top five city in terms of population, Olympics, World Fair, two Major League Baseball teams until. 1953, and the world's largest brewery. Kansas City didn't have pro sports until the 60s and was known for the stockyards and barbecue. St. Louis dropped out of the top 10 in population in the 60s, while Kansas City grew and eventually passed St. Louis as the state's largest city, not counting total metro area. Number two, Kansas and Missouri. This does play into it with Lawrence being in on the fringe of KC's DMA. Number three, the I-70 series. This was the Hiroshima of the Kansas City-St. Louis relationship. Background. I grew up in Perry, Missouri, population 839, halfway between Hannibal and Mexico, and liked all Missouri sports teams except the Big Red. Being Catholic and having a Catholic Captain America quarterbacking America's team, I was a Cowboys fan, plus they were on TV all the time. Loved watching the Royals because they were on TV more in the late 70s as the Cocaine Cardinals couldn't make the postseason, but went to four to five Cardinal games a year as opposed to a Royals game every couple years. Two hours from Bush, four hours from the K. George Brett and Keith Hernandez were my favorite players growing up. As was a freshman at Mizzou in 1985 with the Cardinals postseason run. It was amazing. I pulled the 3-0 in my first semester. Met kids from Kansas City who didn't really hate St. Louis, but they weren't fans. I loved everyone. Then the series started. The Cardinals took a 3-1 series lead, and Cardinal fans were banty. And then the crater happened. I was dating a Kansas City girl. We went to a costume party as doctor and nurse the night of game six. I asked if there was a TV at the party and she said, yes, as it was a kc centric party. I thought all would be well. Then Dankinger happened. He was fucking out, which rang out over the Royals cheers. He was totally safe. Dude said some bake fucker from blue Springs. And I yelled louder. Are you fucking blind? Now the nurse had a Dylan Harper quality to her. And I was looking forward to playing doctor later as it was our fourth date, and it was taking time to cross home plate. She asked me to calm down, and I took a deep breath and said, fine. Then after a couple more more cocktails, she starts, uh, look, it's graphic. She keeps saying he was so safe. I finished my beer, it was some cheap shitty keg beer, I said, later and left. Left her at the party and went back to my dorm. I got so hammered on Seagram 7 and Mountain Dew during game seven that I kicked something outside. Uh, lost it somewhere in Greek My birthday was coming up in a couple of weeks. So I asked my grandmother for new shoes, hashtag blessed. I didn't talk to many Kansas city fucks for a couple of years. I was almost over it until they started openly rooting for the twins in 1987. I met a North County gal, uh, in 86 and we're still married. I eventually got over it and was happy for the Royals recent success. Missouri blood runs deep, even living just across the river in Quincy, Probably more than you wanted, but there it is. Happy New Year. Hey, Brad Pitt was three hours short, and he turned out fine as well. You can use that pitch to lure him onto the podcast. And that comes from Bob. Uh, So that's what I was wondering, if it, like, started with the 85 thing, and then, like, Kansas City won, but it was a win with an asterisk, and it was their only world championship. And so maybe that was what was going on. I don't know. I really don't. I just know it exists, and it certainly exists more on that side of the state than than in St. Louis, and I don't know how to explain it, um, but I gather that Gabe sees it as being from both sides, and, you know, and, and like, I, I think some people are irritated when St. Louisans don't acknowledge that it's a rivalry, but I don't really feel like it's a rivalry, and that's not a shot. It's just, it's just, it's not. Now, if the Cardinals and Royals were in the same division, um, you know, or... Kansas city got a hockey team and the blues and the Royals or the Kansas city NHL team were in the same division, different ball game, you know, but it's just, you know, I think if anything, I think St. Louis is kind of like, yeah, let's go over to Kansas city, Kansas city's moving in the right direction. So the the whole Kansas city thing, I don't understand it, but I, I, I do think, I think he hit the nail on the head that the the world series uh, of 85 probably was the thing that, that lit the fire on it. Uh, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, a fine sponsor of this podcast and the person that I would recommend you get on board with online at evergreenstl.com. I met Mark last year and have gotten to know him, and that's why I recommend him wholeheartedly to our audience here on the podcast. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Let him help you plan your financial future. You need it. It's something that I needed. I wish I had known him back then. And now you can get on board and experience what I've experienced with him as well. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, evergreenstl.com or 314-889-0503. 314-889-0503. You want to get a clear picture of what you have. And if it's appropriate for your current financial needs, it just starts off with a phone call. 314-889-0503 or go to his website, evergreenstl.com. Dot com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Uh, let's see. Do you think the Bulls system will ever change? Mizzou had all this positive momentum, and now we have a negative thought in our mind because they lost a meaningless game and reminded us of the issues they had throughout the season. That's from uh, Danny, and that comes on the TMA fan page. Uh, this is just a this is a personal thing that I uh, always feel obligated to say, and it, I know it irritates people, but I still want to. Uh, it's when people speak uh, presumptuously with first person plural or plural possessive, uh, and and then bolsters their argument by uh, speaking on behalf of others. Um, so that's just that's, that's nothing to do with you, Danny. I know you're a gentleman. It's just in general. It's like when somebody has a weaker argument, they go, "Well, have have we heard an explanation for this yet?" And it's like you're saying you're saying, "Have I?" you know, have you guys had an exploit? You know, that's the thing. So anyway, uh, I, I am of the opinion that the momentum of the Missouri season, which I, in the pick six podcast last week said, I thought was really an odd thing because I think Missouri won one game was Missouri an underdog Pete against Purdue. Or were they a favorite? I think they were a favorite. Yeah. I guess I can pull up my spreadsheet from pick six. Um, So if I'm not mistaken, am I I missing something? They won one game as an underdog. Uh, Yeah, they were minus six and a half. Uh, They were uh, underdog against Georgia, obviously an underdog against Alabama. Uh, Let's see. Who are they getting one point against? We have a Missouri getting one. Oh, South Carolina. So they were an underdog there. Um, my, My point is they won one game where they were an underdog. And, and then there was this weird thing and I don't, I still don't know what it was about. And it's in, and, 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 it, and I, it's like, I like it in a way because I'm pissing everybody off by saying it, but nobody else is really saying this. At least nobody like who gets paid to do this stuff, uh, which is odd to me. And then it's like when, so then I think people get caught up in the bubble. So we really do. And it's not a shot at anyone. It's just Joe Strauss was willing to give an opinion that wasn't popular. And it's helpful because it keeps people grounded. Uh, yeah, I mean they beat Florida, which was a great win, but then they beat Tennessee and Vanderbilt and Arkansas. And who in the SEC wouldn't have been able to do that? So it, it got really like overvalued. And but but so so while well, like the hardcore Missouri fans were like hypersensitive to especially St. Louis media criticism. Oh, fuck you, fuck you. Okay, but that, that's that. But 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 that's 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 saying they got overvalued but i also would say if they have manuel hall for the full game uh they win just like i i would say that they beat south carolina and they beat kentucky if they have him for a full game um and i think the i think that's important to note and yes once again i think bariota made some odd strategic moves at clutch times which is a concern but from a macro perspective where the program is now versus last year or the year before, it's clearly on an upward trajectory. And so I cite the Sun Bowl in 2007 as what I'll focus on. And that is Missouri lost the 2006 Sun Bowl after a big lead against Oregon State. And I'm sure some Missouri fans, perhaps some of the same people who are saying that they killed their momentum by losing to Oklahoma State, uh, were freaked out by that loss. Uh, To Oregon State, and I'm sure by the time they kicked off against Illinois at the Dome, you you weren't going, fuck, I hope the Oregon State hangover from the Sun Bowl nine months ago isn't lurking. You weren't even thinking about it. I think people want to overvalue these games because for them it's really important, but the reality is, unless it's one of the CFP games or the tradition of the Rose Bowl, there are games that guys are sitting out at this point they're revenue generators for the markets that host them for the TV networks, which is mainly fueled by gambling. Same thing with Monday night football and the NFL, but because some people really care about them as fans, they want to act like they're bigger game and that's fine. And it's great. I'm not, if you do care about it, good for you, but let's, let's not, if Missouri would have beaten Oklahoma state, I'd be saying the same thing, but then I'd be labeled a hater or a whiner or a crybaby, as Missouri fans like to shit on people who don't share their, ec- their echo chamber views. And and it's just it's not real. Missouri beating Oklahoma State wouldn't have helped them in 2019. And Missouri uh, losing to Oklahoma State doesn't hurt them in 2019. And yeah, they would have finished the season ranked. And what does that do for you? It, in the, in the whole scheme of things, and I, and that's like gonna like rattle cages. But in the whole scheme of things, Missouri had two great wins in 2018: beating Florida at the Swamp and getting Kelly Bryant. And from my standpoint, that's infinitely more important than what they w- did at, at the Liberty Bowl in a game that, you know, you had people either hurt on Missouri's side or you had people sitting out on Oklahoma State's side. You had both coaches making weird decisions. You had Oklahoma State's quarterback letting Missouri back in the game. So from my standpoint, uh, I just don't think it matters. And I know that's like an unpopular opinion. What what does matter is, the, you know, there are two games Missouri lost. that you cert- I don't know which one you would say they should have won the most out of the Carolina, Kentucky, and Oklahoma State. I think I would say Kentucky um, but certainly they were all there and they were all essentially decided on the final play, even though the Oklahoma State game was like a minute left. And in, in the two games of Oklahoma State and Kentucky, Barry Odom just made some really odd decisions that are the, 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 I just, I don't know how to explain it. And that concerns me because going into 2019, I will have much higher expectations for Missouri than I did for 2018. Um, and so much of that is the schedule. And it's favorable and they will be playing a premier program to open up the home schedule when they host West Virginia after going to Wyoming to open up the season. And the schedule then lines up with five straight home games. They really have legitimate potential to do something great. And I'm excited by that. But, you know, the bar needs to be higher as opposed to going, well, you know, these these kids they, you know, they they inherited something that was really tough and now look where they are. Okay, but they just lost to a team that was 6 and 6 going in and they were a 10 point favorite. And there's one win out of the whole season that you go, "Wow, I didn't expect them to win that game." The rest of them, they were favorites. And usually pretty comfortable favorites. Uh so I, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of confused by the swings because some of the people who wanted him fired immediately after the Kentucky game then were holding people accountable after they won four straight to end the regular season and now they're back on, man, I don't like Barry Odom and he's just never going to... And I'm right where I was in general that still makes some in-game strategic decisions that I wonder if he gets tight. Uh, but overall, Barry Odom remaining the head coach of Missouri at this particular point is in the best interest of Missouri's long-term stability because you're not getting into the business of firing coaches every two or three years and on top of it if Barry Odom gets it going Barry Odom's a guy who's going to stick around Columbia potentially for his entire career uh which is from my standpoint what it's all about and i legitimately could see that happening and that opinion is the same before kickoff in memphis on new year's eve um calling a timeout to kick an extra point to make it a 9-point game in a in a high-scoring game in the fourth quarter is I have to tell you it truly is one of the more fascinating things I've seen from a management standpoint in college football um and there were a number of people I follow on Twitter uh who I think people would consider to be respected call it not like the the, the carnival barker hot take people uh you know but that we're going oh my god what's he what's he doing you know like was it a mistake and either way even if it wasn't you just call the timeout to do that uh, but either way the thing in general is moving in the right direction and it just I, that losing to Oklahoma state doesn't change that from my standpoint uh, do I think he is going to lead them to what Gary Pinkle was able to do which is conference championship games I'm not sure of that but I I certainly have higher expectations in 2019 than I did in 2018. And so much of that's about the schedule. The other thing that I would say is from my standpoint, um, that was the game for me where I saw Drew Locke make plays that I was just like, wow. You know, I mean, there was a third down throw that he made that was just absurd, uh, because of the way he was running out of the pocket, the angle he had to throw the football, the coverage for the receiver and the little space he had to work with between the coverage and the uh, out-of-bounds sideline was incredible, and then on the final drive where he got lit up but was able to complete the pass, I mean, those were some big-time plays. Um, So a tip of the cap to him and the comments he made after the game I thought were uh, first-class as well. So, uh, you know, overall, I think there's going to be a great deal of enthusiasm for Missouri football, greater than there was going into this year. And, you know, and now it's up to them to, uh, to perform, but I'm fired up for it. So, uh, I personally, Danny disagree that there is now, uh, you know, negativity reminded us of the issues they had throughout the season. Um, the, the coaching strategic things concern me, but again, I just don't, if Emmanuel Hall doesn't get hurt, I just don't think that that, I don't even know if it's it's a game. It's such a huge factor, his, his presence. Uh, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is a wonderful sponsor of this program. Uh, and that is online at carltoninsurance.net, carltoninsurance.net, James Carlton, 314 961 314 961 or online at carltoninsurance.net. I think the world of James so much so that I have switched to James Carlton to handle all of our insurance as well. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, make sure you call James Carlton State Farm. 314 961 4800. His attention to detail is incredible. 314 961 4800. James Carlton. Carlton State Farm Insurance. CarltonSurance.net. All right. One more question for questions from the audience. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, how do you see college players sitting out bowl games affecting bowls in the future? in combination with the college playoff expanding to eight in the coming years? Do you see the lesser bowls dying due to diminished particip- perception and therefore losing sponsors? That's a good question. Um, yeah, there's like I said it, talking about the Missouri thing, there there's this thing, and I don't I don't know if I, like if I could like delve into the psychology of it. I think it's because for some people, bowls mean, the world and I'm talking about fans and then therefore it pisses them off when other people don't share their excitement, which is uh, like, I'm like, I'm excited for the AVNs, but I know like there's no one else, uh, in my social circle who's excited for the AVNs. Uh, there's probably no one listening to this who's excited for the AVNs. Uh, my wife is not excited for the AVNs. I'm excited for the AVNs then people shaming me for liking the sex awards does not dampen my enthusiasm for the AVNs. I don't care. So if you really got into the Liberty Bowl and then somebody goes, well, oh, I don't fuck it. Like the Stingray was texting me. So what do you think? And are you going to the game? Do you want to do a post game show? I'm like, no, I don't really, I don't really care. I don't know what to tell you. You know, I mean, I, but I know if you live in the South bowl season's a huge deal. And then some Missouri fans are going, see, that's the problem. It's a loser mentality. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. If you think that that's the reason why Missouri football hasn't achieved greatness, then okay, it's a fascinating perspective. But if that's your line of thought to focus on holding fans accountable for not going to bowl games, you know, great. Maybe you're right. Uh, I personally think it's not accurate, but maybe that's correct. So is is the? I think what will happen I certainly think it's the solution with five conference champions and then three at large teams becoming the college football playoff and then seated by the committee. Uh, and that will be it. And I think that will be it for a long time using the bowls as the, uh, quarterfinals and the semifinals and a rotation for the championship game location. um, That now you have an objective way to get in, and you still have the debate that makes college football so unique. Whether you like it or not, it certainly is different that you're sitting there going, Well, Notre Dame shouldn't have gotten in, Georgia should have gotten in, or UCF. Okay, UCF lost. Well, Georgia should have gotten in, then Georgia loses. Well, still, Notre Dame shouldn't have been in. And it's like, Well, it's results oriented. So here's how the process works you play all your games, you win all your games. And you're playing in one of the big programs like Notre Dame, you're going to get in. And personally, like I said back in October, I thought UCF should have gotten in if you win all of your games. But I also recognize the argument. Well, they didn't play anybody. People say Notre Dame didn't play anybody. Notre Dame beat Michigan. Notre Dame won at Virginia Tech. Notre Dame won at USC. I don't know what people want. They want what fits their narrative. If you're an SEC guy, you say Georgia should get in. If you don't necessarily like Notre Dame, you say Notre Dame shouldn't have gotten in. And then you see them get beat up by Clemson and you go, see, that proves it. Well, like two weeks ago to Missouri fans, Purdue was one of our best wins. Purdue gets the shit kicked out of them against Auburn. Well, okay, fine. And it just changes based on the fandom. It's like talking politics. It's a a very frustrating discussion. Uh, I cited uh, Todd Furman's Twitter timeline, the sports gambling guy who we've had on the show, who I like quite a bit, but he tweeted out after Georgia lost to Texas, anybody who thinks that this performance by Georgia shows that they're not one of the four best teams in the country is an idiot. And I'm like, well, I mean, what in the hell is that? I mean, they have three losses and, you know, I think you can make a fair case that they're not one of the four best teams in the country. And then what's your argument? Well, if you don't think like I do, you're an idiot. Okay. And then earlier in the day when Ohio state was beating the hell out of Washington, 28 to three at the time, he tweeted out, boy, Ohio state fans have to be kicking themselves. For what happened against Purdue? Okay. But I mean, they nearly lost at home to Nebraska and they were very fortunate. Maryland's quarterback threw a bad pass to a wide open receiver, uh, in Maryland. Otherwise they would have lost that one as well. So, you know, Ohio state didn't come out of this thing completely unblemished as well. And they lost by 29 to Purdue. Would Alabama have had that? You just had a year where you had two teams that were head and shoulders above everybody else. And that's just kind of the way that it works. And the Georgia thing fascinated me because I'm like, if you're watching this game, this isn't the Tua that we've seen for the vast majority of the season. He's clearly hurt. And I'll tell you something regarding the Clemson game coming up. Thought it was an odd answer that he gave right after they beat Oklahoma. That his ankle just is not right. That's a factor, especially against Clemson, an actual defense. So uh, otherwise I would be, I'd be on Alabama, but man, I'm telling you, if that guy's not right and people go, oh, Jalen Hurts is just as good. I'm like, oh, I don't think he is, but maybe you're right. Either way, uh, that's what I think will happen with bowls, And I don't think that that is going to diminish bowls in general, because I think when it gets down to it, I mean, people are sitting at home, they're off work and they're betting on games. So they're going to have ratings and they don't know who the hell's in there. They learn, and it's like, oh, I'm not going to bet on this game because Oklahoma State's top two players are sitting out. Oh, I'm not going to bet on West Virginia and Syracuse because Will Greer's not playing. So that's not going to change. And then for the hardcore fans and the boosters, and if it's a good location, uh, people are going to go to the bowls, which then makes money for the city, which makes money for sponsors, which is what this whole thing is really about. Uh, I guess before my time, Going to a bowl was something that was reserved for the best of the best. Well, now more than half the schools go to bowls. The thing that bothers me is that the standard of the 60s, 70s, and 80s of you go to a bowl, you had a good year, is still being used in 2018 when you can win against a bunch of buttasses and have six wins and then call it a successful season. I just... I just disagree with that. Uh, Like the thing when Barry Odom's job was being discussed after the Kentucky loss. Well, if they go to a bowl, Missouri doesn't fire coaches who go to bowls. Well, yeah, maybe that was the case like in the seventies and the eighties, but that's not what's going on here. Everybody can go to a bowl these days. So I don't, I don't see, I don't see uh, the bowl going away. I just don't. And, And this is coming from somebody who's not a bowl fan, but I loved watching for the purpose of gambling But I didn't go, you know what, now I think Georgia's a bad team because they lost their last two games. Or now I think Purdue's 60 points less than Auburn because motivation is a real factor, which makes gambling on these things so difficult to do because you're trying to handicap an intangible. That's why live betting on them has value because you can tell early on oftentimes who's there and who's just like, yeah, we don't really give a shit. We're treating this as vacation. So that's, from my standpoint, I love that. But as far as it being like some canonization of a team or a program, listen, I'm sure Kentucky fans are feeling really good about themselves after beating Penn State. I just don't know if it's going to impact when Missouri and Kentucky get together uh, in Lexington later on this year. So that's where I am. Just like I said, Sun Bowl was a debacle in 2006 for Missouri, and they had one of their best years ever in 2007. And I don't think anybody was thinking about the Sun Bowl when Illinois kicked off against Missouri at the Dome uh, you know, nine months later. So there's my bull perspective and some uh, autopsy, I suppose, on the 2018 Missouri season, which I think illustrates progress in the whole scheme of things. Uh, Mike Judy presents, sponsor of the podcast. Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, sponsor of the podcast. Ryan Kelly, the home Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies and James Carlton of the Carlton Insurance Agency, sponsor of the podcast. It's the Tim McCurden Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the home studios.